10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Qatar, this is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown. Good morning, you wonderful humans, and welcome to the Friday morning break, the start to the end of your week. I'm Dorian Brown. It's Friday the 6th of May. We are broadcasting from the Teachers Talk Radio log cabin. Today we have another biggie for you as we ask how important social and emotional learning is in supporting students and teachers with their well-being. It's a huge topic. It's a small time, but let's give it a go. If you're listening, please text or tweet in and let's talk this out. Live from Qatar, this is the morning break with Dorian Brown on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning to you all and thank you so much for joining us today here on Teachers Talk Radio. The nation is gripped by local election fever this morning with a number of people up until the very early hours as those results fly in. Now I think it was Robert Gallagher that once said that change is inevitable except from a vending machine. Uh, So whilst all of these votes are are, are not in, I think that the picture being painted is one that really does suggest that the nation has a desire for change for the better. So I guess watch this space. Anyway, let's get going today. How has your first or second week been back since Easter break? How are those exam classes limbering up? And how many weeks is it into the end of term? All very valid and reasonable questions at this stage of the year. Now, exam time naturally brings with it nerves, anxiety, panic. um, And it is our job as teachers and leaders to ensure really that we do what we can to abate those those feelings of negativity amongst the students and and, and help us or help them uh, to build those mindsets and habits um, where stress, which obviously is a, a natural human feeling, can be managed and and channeled into into more positive actions. Now, uh, this of course is not an, an, an easy ask at all, uh, and it has to happen over a over a long period of time. It's not a there's no kind of quick fix really. It's uh, it's not just a couple of weeks before the exams where we need to start doing these things. It's a uh, you know it, it's all of the time really. So making students feel safe, happy, and motivated to learn are, are, are you know key aspects of our day to day jobs as teachers. Today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the importance of having social and emotional learning, or CELL, um, in creating these conditions for students for them to thrive. So talking this through with me today and sharing her wisdom and experience is Ellen Mahoney. Ellen is the CEO of Sea Change Mentoring and she serves as a Council of International Schools affiliated consultant. She's also certified in mentoring supervision from Fordham University's Graduate School and Social Work. Now today, due to time zones and work schedules, my discussion with Ellen uh, won't be live. However, I will... You know, as we wade through the issues and, and, and discussions, I warmly invite you live in the studio here to text into the show. And any questions or ideas that you, you do put, um, I shall sort of read out and maybe unpack a little bit more uh, at the in the second part of the show at the end. Uh, and then perhaps maybe I might even be able to actually pose those to Ellen because she has very generously um, agreed to, to come back on the show again uh, in the future. Um, which is, which is fantastic, which is great. Um, so before we get going, let us hear from our TTR tech guru, Steve Woods, with some further tips on how to avoid those pesky internet scammers. Grab yourself a kombucha and a custard cream, and Ellen will join us on the other side of this. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. 
your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, last week I told you about security certificates and how the padlock is not a symbol of a website being secure, but the transmission being encrypted. This week we go a step further and ask how do criminals use this against us? They use something called a subdomain. Just as the prefix sub means below or under, the subdomain is a key to this scam, and it can look legitimate to the untrained eye. Subdomains are a way to divide a website into more manageable chunks. For example, for TT Radio, a subdomain could be named Listen. This would read www.listen.ttradio.org. This could be pointed at somewhere other than the main website, for example, Podbean, and allow simple redirection for the user of the website. The issue we face is cyber criminals understand subdomain system and exploit it. So if I were to buy a domain called bank.com and create a subdomain for all popular banks in the UK or even the world, and obviously buy a security certificate, I could create copies of banks' web pages on each subdomain and the address would read, for example, HTTPS, oh, it's secure, www.halifax.bank.com. The difference being you're now going to a subsection of my website, bank.com, which happens to be named after a bank. I now start a campaign of emails and texts with a warning to as many people as I possibly can. To make you panic and click without thinking too much, I also add a bit of time pressure into the mix. How does this sound? Halifax Alert, you've just paid Steve Woods £500. If this transaction was not organised by you, you have five minutes to log in and cancel. I'm even kind enough to give you the link https www.halifax.bank.com. From there, I collect your login details and empty your bank. Clever, isn't it? How do we stop this? Always contact your bank directly, not through a link that is sent to you. If unsure, stop and think. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Qatar, this is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown. And Ellen joins us in the studio now. Good morning, Ellen. Thank you very much for joining us on this Friday morning on Teachers Talk Radio. Good morning, it's good to be here. Fantastic. Uh, Customary at the beginning of the show is for our guests, or is for our listeners really, to kind of have a, get a sense of who they are talking to. And so would would you oblige us please and let us know your, your journey in education up to this point, please? Sure. So uh, I, I currently run an organization called Sea Change Mentoring, where we work with international schools around the world. I got into education right from the beginning. I'm one of those people that wanted to um, work in education or mental health, you know, probably since I was 12 years old. Um, but I thought that I would be a teacher or a counselor, a school counselor in the US. Um, but that changed for me. So for me, I, I grew up actually in Japan and Singapore. My parents are American, uh, but they traveled overseas for work. So I'm, I'm kind of a confusing person to some people. I might seem American, whatever that means, uh, but I have this other international background. I came to the States for university uh, and there I thought, okay, I'm gonna work in the United States in the public school systems, which I did for a little bit, but um, I always felt pulled back to the international community and I wasn't really sure what to do with that. Um, and uh, yeah, but ultimately I um, was a teacher in the US. I was a counselor in the US in um, secondary schools in the public school system in Washington DC in New York. And then um, I also always come back to thinking what can we do to improve adults? 
around young people. Adults seem mm. to be the biggest challenge when we're thinking about children's <laughs> learning and development. So um, I kept coming back to looking for interventions that were more um, to support adults being better for young people. So that's that led me to get into the youth mentoring field in the mm. US. Um, and I've been in that field for uh, it's probably almost 20 years now. Um, right. Is it something like that? <laughs> and then I started. It's all, a blur. <laughs> it's all a blur. It's all a blur. Yeah. But yeah. And then I started Sea Change 10 years ago, which is about mentoring and um, social emotional learning. Oh, fantastic. And and what a what a uh, a varied kind of experience, and what a kind of a number of stops and, and and routes to where you are now, by the sounds of it as well. And I'm I'm sort of in, inferring from that that actually all of your lived experiences on the way there, and going to kind of growing up in Japan, Singapore and moving to the States and, you know, have kind of led you to sort of strengthen your, um, your, your passion uh, and your interest in these areas. And I think it's really interesting if I could just pick up on what you just said there about the importance of focusing on the, 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 the teachers, the leaders um, of, of uh, social emotional learning um, rather than the, 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 the students directly, um, because I think it's a, it's a really valid point and one which I'd not really thought about before is that, you know, we have to get the, the structures right first before we can have faith in, in what we're doing on the, you know, on, on the ground level, as it were. Absolutely. And I mean, any parent will tell you that children mimic the adults around them. You know, that's how they learn what's funny. That's how they learn how to be empathetic. That's how they learn how to manage their stress. You know, that's yes. how they learn to express themselves. And so it's the same thing for any adult that's significant in a young person's life. We, we really need to be spending a lot more attention on what skills do we need to develop? What kind of self-awareness do we need to develop? How can we manage our own stress? What structures are we designing for ourselves or for the people, the other adults in our care um, that may or may not be conducive to developing those skills or the, our ability to manage stress? And if we don't do that, it's we're missing a huge gap. There's a huge gap in, in what we're able to do to, to help young people develop into healthy, productive people. Absolutely. And, and, and teachers and, and leaders are, are role models, but, you know, per se, but, you know, it, it, the buck doesn't necessarily start, stop with us either as well. You know, you have to have societal role models. And, and as you said, yeah. you know, other adults in society as well that are also kind of mirrors of, uh, of the youth of today, if you will. Yes. So, so it's not just on the education level, but kind of society as a whole, we have to look at, you know, the, 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 the picture that we are portraying to our, to our, to our youth, as it were. Um, oh, absolutely fascinating. Really kind of, deep start uh, which is really good because there's so many different kind of um, branches that we could explore from that um let, so so you mentioned sea change mentoring which had been going on for about sort of 10 years now and i kind of kind of guess you've sort of answered this question in, in so many ways but um what what would you say was the you know having been involved in you know uh, having been a teacher and a, a counselor and and involved in education and, and interested in mental health from a very early age what was the you know it's quite a big step i think isn't it? i've spoken to a few teachers on previous shows or, or former teachers that have gone off into into um other other uh, businesses etc and other 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 things which is they're still connected to school but they're not sort of doing the day-to-day -day teaching so firstly brave step first of all I think kind of doing these things but, but uh, and so what was the catalyst that that, that helped you kind of get this uh, sea change mentoring uh, off of the ground sure yeah I was gonna say brave or crazy Dorian crazy crazy there you go new word you coined it. um yeah I well I'll tell you the catalyst, but I also want to just share a little bit of leading up to the catalyst. I was working for an organization called iMentor here in New York, where we worked with 
um, 12, uh, or my team worked with 12 administrations in New York City, school administrations in New York City, and we helped them. Well, we built uh, mentoring programs within their schools and, and managed that whole process. And that, that organization was very much like a startup company where I think when I started, I was like employee number nine. And now there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. It's a huge national organization with a, a lot of power and, and that kind of thing. So I was able to be there at a really interesting time. And I remember going in thinking, this is extremely stressful. It was a very stressful, very New York hustle, yeah. hustle, hustle environment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember thinking, even when it sucks, just learn everything you can. And I just studied our CEO. Mm. Um, thinking I know I'm going to start my own business someday so you know just learn what you can so I just wanted to say that, that that was really important I think it's really hard to have any kind of business skills and entrepreneurial skills like right out of the yes. classroom so that was really beneficial for me but the catalyst was it was the major earthquake that happened in and um, following tsunami that happened in Japan I don't know, I think it's now 12 years ago, um, I was watching the news and it was, that's Japan's my childhood home. It's a really important place to me. Mm. And it was just, you know, as you can imagine, extremely upsetting. And, um, and it led me to, I think, just reflect on accepting how important my international childhood really was for me. It's, it's hard to explain, but when you, when you grow up in different countries and then you, you know, reintegrate or integrate into your parents' country um, and you kind of sound like, you know, for me, like I sound like an American, whatever that means, you know, I look like an American, whatever that means, et cetera, et cetera. People expect you to have the same experiences and shared histories and culture. And I didn't. And um, and I started getting tired of trying to explain where I can where I came from and what made me me. Um, and so I developed sort of chameleon skills where I would just sort of mirror what the Americans were showing around me just so I could not feel so exhausted and, and probably so I could feel a sense of belonging. Um, but that's really exhausting. And, and I also would always tell kids, you know, be comfortable in your own skin, never apologize for who you are. And then I thought, what kind of a role model am I when I, I really don't celebrate my Japanese background, my, my background in Singapore, and it's really important to me. So that earthquake made me think about that. Um, and then that actually, those reflections led me to reach out to the school I attended in Japan and also to see if they need any help you know, after, in the aftermath. Sure. And they, that led to a conversation with a former teacher of mine that went on for many weeks. And one of the things that she asked me was, did, did I know that a lot of the girls when, when we graduated from school had a really hard time adjusting to these, the countries that were supposed to be their own, adjusting to adulthood? I said, of course mm. I did. And, um, and then we talked about something that I hadn't talked about in, in, over a decade, which was a loss of a friend to suicide from that school who had these adjustment issues. And, um, and really this teacher said to me, you're in the youth mentoring field, can't you do something about it? <laughs> so it was like, oh, okay, wow, uh, let me think about that. And that was really a turning point for me. I, I couldn't sleep, I was, I was just designing a program in my mind every night. Um, I'd come home from that exhausting job and I started to build a model 
um, around mentoring that I thought would might help in the international school system. And that's what got me um, started with Sea Change. Wow. Yeah, that's that's so much to digest there, I think, Ellen. And, and um, thank you kind of for sharing the the the, the checkered background, I think, to, to, to what led you to, to, to creating Sea Change. And I think there's a sort of a few things that I was thinking as you were, as you were saying that, um, uh, you know, firstly, I, th I think it was the, um, was it in the Fukushima uh, uh, earthquake, uh, yes. that idea of that idea of um, uh, connection to communities, I think, you know, we're, now we're in that kind of more globalized world, you know, the friction of distances, you know, is, is, a, is a lot smaller, you know, being able to reconnect and stay connected with communities of the, you know, that were places where we've been, you know, speaking for myself, yeah. of someone who's worked in five different countries, you know, it's very easy to compartmentalize those, uh, those times in your life. And, you know, that was, that was my four years there. And now I'm moving on, you know, it's very easy. And it's very, it's, it's easier for us to stay connected, but actually, it's, it's also easier said than done as well. So it takes, so it takes a, a big event like like you've described there, I think, to really kind of almost haul you back, um, and 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 like you said, you know, re re reflect on um, you know what that experience meant to you, uh, and and how yeah, and 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 the fact that it it was experiential in itself was sufficient enough to to kind of pro provide a springboard or a platform into you actually actively taking action, um, which is, which is interesting because I think um, you know everyone can have good ideas and good intentions to do such things, but unless they've actually kind of walked the walk, I guess, or experienced things, they're a lot less likely to be able to kind of take that uh, step because they're, they're not as compelled to do so by such a, a, a vivid kind of emotional experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of those experiences, I think, you know, for myself, adjusting back to the States, when I learned that my friend had died when we were 19, I, I also thought about I think there was a refrain in my mind that went that repeated all the time, which was, where were the adults? Why didn't the adults prepare us for this? Um, because I was saw it was I saw this phenomenon of this like major challenge in adjusting to adulthood across all countries. So my friend in Brazil was going through it. My friend yeah. in Australia was going through this. My friend in Ghana was going through this. So, you know, it was a universal experience. Um, and I know we were not the first generation to go through it. So I, mm. yeah, I kept wondering where are the adults and that, that question, where are the adults? Why didn't the adults prepare us better is really a question yes. that drives me today. I mean, I'm not as judgmental about it cause I get, I understand um, how complicated yeah. it all is, but I do think, you know, yeah, we all need to take responsibility for, for this adjustment and preparing people properly. Absolutely. And, and, and it makes sense because you are, you are part of that move, that, that progress, aren't you? Part of that movement towards destigmatizing mental health issues, uh, these, you know, uh, uh, and, you know, getting conversations and getting action uh, and kind of shining a light on the things that, you know, have, you know, affected, you know, like you said, you know, not the first people by a long way, you know, and it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a worry, I guess, or a disappointment perhaps maybe that it's taken so long as a, as a, as a society, as a race, perhaps to kind of, yeah. you know, start to really kind of call out and, 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 and um, acknowledge these issues, you know, um, yeah. Wow. Um, so, 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 so let's, let's move uh, straight on then into uh, uh, SEL itself. Um, so 
and, and I know it's it, this is definitely not a, a one show, you know, SEL itself in its, it is a huge, complex, um, multifaceted uh, uh, approach. But let's see if we well, let's see if we can try our best to kind of distill it, I guess, as best as we can in this, in this show. Um, so could you let us know what SEL is in your in your uh, expert opinion um, and why it's an important component of children's and, and perhaps also adults education? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's very, it's multifaceted, but the way I, the way I like to define social emotional learning is that I think social emotional learning is the distillation of um, a huge international body of research that spans decades that tells us how young people learn and develop. Um, and so, and, and that we under, that we, we know that young people learn and develop socially, emotionally, and cognitively, right? That, that those are the sort of the three functions. And um, if we know that learning and development is social, is emotional, and is cognitive, then, um, and if we know that we want young people to grow up to be engaged, productive, healthy human beings, then mm -hmm. what are the skills we need to be developing for um, young people, what are the experiences and relationships we need to be we need to design for, and they're not just cognitive, right? So, yeah. we I mean, you think if you when you reflect on your time at school, are all the lessons you learned um, your your maths and you know the and history and and literature and and your writing skills, or did you learn anything social or emotional at all? Did you have any social and emotional experiences? Mm -hmm. I mean. You know, people still have recurring nightmares about, you know, coming into school and forgetting that they had an exam that day or, you know, coming in and they, they forgot their pants or something. You know, I mean, we have our, our experiences of, of school are just are psychological, they're social and emotional. And yes. um, why not? Uh, it's, it seems strange to ignore that. So, um, so, yeah, it's really the social skills and emotional skills and cognitive skills that we want to develop for, for young people so that they can learn better, they can develop healthfully and then lead purposeful lives. You know, uh, yeah, the, yeah there, and there's, you know, the, just to say one more thing, I mean, there is, mm. there are, there are actually multiple models out there uh, that describe what those skills are. The ones that most people are um, familiar with is an American organization called CASEL. And they have these five competencies, these five skills that, that they believe we should be developing. And that's based on research. And those are self-awareness, social awareness, relationship skills, problem solving, and um, and um, what's the other one? Self-management, like you know, organization and, and stress management kind of stuff, emotional regulation. Yeah. Yes, well, um, just kind of trying to note those down as quick as I can there, uh, because what kind of occurred to me, thank you for that. Like I I completely again the, the, the couple of things that you've said have just really kind of made me think hard about my own kind of perception as well because I hadn't thought really that actually the emphasis on the need for for, for cell has come from research I think you know or, or such a such a huge kind of um, it's the culmination I guess of a, a large body of research I just always always felt it was just something that schools we had this kind of which I think it's it's the same you know schools we have the, the the moral obligation if you like to not only just prepare students academically but prepare them for for life you know for adulthood essentially and and you kind of just assume that that includes a number of social and emotional and cognitive things 
However, I think what you've just said there is saying that, you know, the, the, the evidence-based saying, you know, how best to perhaps maybe do this from places all over the world, kind of putting that all together uh, is, a, is a big challenge, is a big task. And, and as you were listing the, the, the competencies that Castle have identified there, um, you know, each one of those five different competencies are, I don't want to say buzzwords, but they're just kind of like they're, they're, they're okay, right, there's this one, self-management. What does that mean? How does that look in the classroom? How do we translate that? Where's the actionable kind of steps? Do you see what I mean? So, so, uh, and I think therein lies the problem and the challenge is that, you know, education, there isn't this kind of universal um, agreement as to what the purpose of education is per se. Uh, and, and therefore, depending on where you are in the world, the, the optics, I guess, of what makes good, ed, you know, quality education are going to vary in terms of you know, the extent of social uh, and emotional and cognitive time which is spent on social emotional and cognitive um, uh, um, experiences yeah so. definitely yeah it is it's super complex and I think mm. yeah when, when, when I list all of those competencies and again we talked about the multifaceted nature of SEL I think it can be very overwhelming too I think that the if it makes people feel less overwhelmed I would say that great teachers already teach their students these five competencies anyway in what they model in the learning experiences that they design for young people so you know project-based learning for example that requires relationship skills that requires social awareness that requires problem solving skills and great teachers um, set their students up to learn those skills while they're working on whatever you know, content area that they're working on. So it already happens around the world in various cultures. I think mm -hmm. that the, the bigger task and a task that that is, I, I see as you know, one of my tasks as, as the head of Sea Change is to help schools be more intentional about it be more consistent about it, and then to use evidence-based practices yes. um, so that they can be more successful. Yeah, to weave it, weave it into their everyday, isn't it? I think a really good point. Great teachers already do do it. They do. Um, they, the forefront of building relationships with your class. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess uh, the, 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 the difficulty, I think, that many, many see is that academically you've got a syllabus you've got a textbook you've got a curriculum you've got a handbook if you will um but for sale uh yeah it it has to be bespoke i think it has to be it has to be, be taken into account of culture uh, context um time you know is it's a bit more of a kind of a bit more of a complex uh, uh complex issue to 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 devolve and um yeah so 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 by raising uh the raising, I don't like that phrase, raising awareness, but, you know, kind of, you know, making it, making it more intentional, as it, exactly as you said, making it more intentional, making teachers and leaders think specifically about uh, how they are going to kind of bring certain things into their, into their classrooms or how they are already doing it, but how they can do it already better. I think that's a good thing that I've taken from my pedagogical experiences that, yes, I already do a number of things that people say is good practice, but how can I do what I already do better than I already do it? Right. And that's exactly. why, why why shining a light on these these things and, and being more thoughtful and having a shared language for these things, et cetera, I think um, is the is the right direction for it for us to go. Um, yeah. So so um, so 
a large number of our listeners are, are, are in the UK, but we also have a, 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 a large uh, international audience as well. Um, if I can just sort of focus on, on, on British schools uh, briefly, um, aspects of SEL is normally delivered through what we would call the PSHE or PSHCE, the Personal Social Health Citizenship Education. Um, there was even, I think, when I was at school, um, I think it was good. Might even still be now, but it was not sell. It was seal. So social and emotional aspects of learning. So a number of different sort of acronyms uh, as to how kind of cell gets into schools. So it is there already. Um, how how would you then argue? How would you present the case for where where cell should be more explicitly weaved into curricula? Yeah, I mean, definitely. So I mean, a lot of this, a lot of the schools I work with have the same the same. Um, P-S-H-E, P-S-H-C-E, et cetera, right, yeah. curriculum. Um, yeah, and I will just say, I mean, that, that's interesting that you just said that you had the SEAL initiative. I think mm. if I can just say one thing to that is that, again, I think we've been doing this work for a long time and it's just a question of getting better. So I, yeah. you know, like you, you had the SEAL initiative in the States, we had the whole child initiative in various countries we talked about 21st century skills we talked about soft skills all of this really fits mm. underneath the umbrella of social emotional learning and mm. you've been in education long enough you know that you know the language changes it's often a lot of the same stuff regurgitated yeah. but i also don't want to be cynical about it because i do think that the, just the, the quality and sophistication of the research we have available to us now really helps us to dial in what mm. that what that looks like and what effective implementation looks like. So thinking sure. about implementation, I think that um, the a curriculum, like a pastoral curriculum or a social emotional curriculum, like you're talking about in the British system is great, and um, but it's not the whole picture. And so when you think about, um, when you're looking at the outcomes of social emotional learning, effective social emotional learning implementation, effective SEL implementation comes in three forms. So the first is direct instruction. And that's when we're, you know, having a lesson on, let's say, you know, friendship skills for 11 year olds um, or stress management skills for 16 year olds. That's the direct skill instruction, which actually, when you look at the research has varied results. So direct skill instruction around pastoral, social, emotional work, um, is, is very effective for primary school age students. But when we move into adolescence, especially later adolescence, when we're you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, that direct skill instruction is often ineffective. And in fact, and I'd love for someone to challenge me on this because I, I want to see the research to tell me otherwise, but I don't believe that there's there are any research studies that show that direct skill instruction just as it is has an impact on, has the, the desired impact on teenage outcomes, learning outcomes. Um, so, so there's a place for that, but we have to think about it appropriately developmental wise. Um, then, so that's one piece, right? The direct skill instruction. The second piece is embedding the, um, our practices into whatever we do all day. So if I'm a geography teacher, how am I embedding opportunities for young people to learn um, self-awareness and um, organization skills and, um, you know, uh, understanding the various cultures at work in, in my group dynamic or whatever it might be. 
<clears throat> and that's really powerful. And again, that's what we, when we say great teachers already do this, that's what we're talking about. And then the third piece is the third piece to effective implementation is around modeling. And that's the adults in the building. How are we modeling these skills? And that what research has uh, revealed to us is that that is the greatest gap in effective social emotional learning implementation and it has the greatest impact. So that's again, it goes back to where are the adults, right? Like let's let's really help adults, let's give them the space, the time and the yeah. structures for them to um, develop those skills themselves and so they can model them. So, so anyway, you know, that's a long way to say that the, the curriculum that you're talking about is really just one part of a much larger picture. Absolutely. And yeah, every, every time you say something, it just is getting my brain whirring. It really is. It's just kind of, <laughs> it, it, and it just shows how, how, yeah, like how complex it is, but you know, one thing that kind of jumped out when you, when you were talking about kind of teachers delivering the curriculum as well is that, you know, there are not to my knowledge or, or, or if they are they're, they're, they're niche, but there are not PSHE degrees. Um, there are not kind of pathways where you become a PSHE expert or a, or a cell, you know, you know, expert, you know, within the teaching profession, you know, and, and just thinking of a few schools I've worked in, you know, you, you teach PSHE, if you're a form tutor sometimes, or actually just sometimes if you've got time in your timetable. So I think that 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 speaks largely to to all three of those areas which you just spoke about, really. I mean, if, you've, if you're not the expert in the field, how can your direct instruction be, you know, uh, rich enough and, and authentic enough to be able to get the, the, the message across? How can, you know, if it's something which is a tag onto your timetable or something which you're not, you haven't volunteered for, how can, how can it be embedded in, 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 in your practice? Um, and, and also how do you, how do you model it? If it is that thing that you, you perhaps maybe don't see wrongly, you know, you wrongly don't see the, it as important as, you, as the subject that you, that you got into teaching for, you know? So I think that's a big, that's a glaring issue, which I know lots of schools are kind of tussling with. Um, Regarding to the, the the direct instruction, sort of pastorally, I think that's really interesting because I've not, you know, I I, I read of um, Project Follow Through in, in the US in the in the 70s, I think it was, but that was all down to academic academia, wasn't it? So it was about kind of being able to um, you know, script instruction, uh, and as you were saying about how the older students get, the less effective or less impactful that was. That made me think, well, does that mean that they're then becoming more competent or becoming more expertise in that particular area? And, and I don't know, pastorally, as students get older, they have a lot more influences uh, and a lot more, a lot more varied uh, array of, of adults who they uh, learn from. So therefore the role of the, the, the teacher giving direct instruction on pastoral is diluted somewhat from 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 the instructions that they get so so yeah thank you for that there's just so much to kind of to to digest over in in, in my brain there it's hurting a little bit <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome well I have to say I mean when you there's yeah and now what you just said I've got so many thoughts about that but they when you said oh that's so interesting like there's no PSHE um you know like graduate program or something like that whatever the equivalent would be mm. um and that's that's true and and that's something that I also um, am really interested in is teacher training. It's, you know, uh, I, I, I stay very busy because across all systems, and it's just starting to change in some countries, but across all systems, teachers are not trained 
to um, to develop to you know specifically and explicitly develop these skills in young people, nor are they given the opportunity in most teacher training programs. There are some exceptions, but nor are they really given the opportunity to develop those skills within themselves. That is utterly confusing and perplexing to me. Um, and there are countries that are, there's, um, I, I've done, I've done some talks with um, Dr. Yuli Tamir, who um, was the minister of education in, in Israel. And now she runs a, a major teacher training program in Israel. And she has just, with her team, has just completely rewritten teacher training. And I believe the whole entire first year um, is around the sort of social and emotional competency development, self-awareness yeah. and stress management. So it's starting to change, but yeah, yeah. it's, I think it's, it's really difficult. Um, if you were mm. a teacher right now, you were not trained to do this. Absolutely. And all initial teacher training or PGCEs or, or, or whatever the, the, the route is in, you know, it's just so, I mean, the, the job itself is just so big um, that it almost feels like all these extra things, you know, we've got to teach you know, pedagogy subjects, you know, subject knowledge uh, boosters in, in, you know, particularly if they've not studied the, the, the subject for a longer period of time, you know, you've got cognitive science, which we need to obviously kind of take into account now in terms of how the brain, you know, how brain works. We've got climate change and sustainability that has to be threaded in as well. And now I see an SEL obviously has to, so there isn't enough, to, there isn't enough um, time, you know, we, we can never master, I think, you know, teaching, you know, in, in, in the year or the three years, perhaps maybe that kind of lead into the, the, the learning, but we can, we can promote uh, the dispositions. We can, we can, you know, get across the idea that, you know, when you are planning things, these are a number of things that you need to consider, right? Um, yeah. And these are the things that we, you know, we should be modeling, you know? Yes. Um, so it's, so it's part of the, it's, it's, it's not an explicit part of the, of the teacher training itself. It's just weaved in throughout all of the other bits and bobs that people have to do. Yeah, definitely. And I think that if you're given, um, if you are so fortunate to work in a system or a school that gives you the time and supports to do this work, um, which is yeah. a huge if in most cases, yes. um, but if you do, then I would say that developing these competencies for yourself will bring the joy back to your teaching, you know, because it's very motivating. It's exciting. When we, every teacher knows the experience of being in a classroom and maybe there's a student that you just have not been able to reach. They seem bored in class or they, you know, they're, they're disconnected. And one day you do something a little bit different and boom, the light bulb goes off. They smile. They're excited to come to school. That's what we were all like striving towards, right? Is just being mm -hmm. able to give more and more of those moments to young people. Well, that's when we develop these competencies in ourselves and really embrace that experience, I think you are you you give yourself more and more of those opportunities, those experiences, more of those aha moments, more of those light bulb yes. moments, more of those moments of connection, which will then motivate you and inspire you. It will help you prevent, you know, it will prevent burnout. It will help you manage your own stress. Um, you'll be much more of a of a co-creator of the school culture. Um, and so I do think it's something that if you invest in it, it will the returns are manifold. Yes. Agree. Absolutely agree with that. I think that's, I think we live for those aha moments, don't we? Not only in the, the students remember them, but we also remember them, I think as well. And it is a, a big reason, I think, as to why many, many people are, are sort of teaching in the, in, in the first place. So if we can, yeah. And, and 
just to kind of finish that point, I think you uh, you hit the nail on the head when you say it takes investment. You know, it's not going to be something which you can click your fingers and suddenly it's all going to be, you know, uh, unicorns and rainbows. You know, there's it's an uphill struggle to embed some form of, you know, the, the culture and build those relationships within the classroom to kind of facilitate those exchanges, which will eventually lead to those those areas. So it's a, so it's, it's exactly as you said. It's a it's a lot of lot of input but 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 worth the payoff eventually when you see that um listen ellen we have been um rabbiting on for for nearly half the <laughs> show i think but it's just absolutely every time we kind of you have an exchange it just kind of leads us down a uh, a different path which i think you know i suppose we we would have we could have expected this uh, uh you know based on the the content itself but um let us just take a quick breather for a second we'll go to the news for a couple of minutes uh, and then when we come back i'll uh, i'd like to pick your brain a little bit more please so we'll be back in two This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In England, the exam regulator Ofqual is thought to be moving towards online GCSEs and A-levels as it begins to explore the use of online testing. The regulator has said that it will be working with exam boards to explore the role of adaptive testing, where digital exams automatically adjust to suit a candidate's ability level. Jeff Barton, General Secretary of the Association of School and College Leaders, welcomed the change, saying, we are delighted that Ofqual is going to look at new approaches to exams, including the use of technology, and that it intends to work with the awarding organisations to this end. Our current reliance on a pen and paper exam system, organised at an industrial scale, with Fort Knox style security arrangements around the transportation and storing of papers, is hopelessly outdated and ripe for reform. If online assessment had been available, it might not have been necessary to cancel all summer exams for two years in a row. Chief Regulator Dr Joe Saxton said the plan expressed her personal commitment that the interests of students and apprentices will be the compass that guides us on every decision and action. In an interview with The Times, the Vice-Chancellor of Cambridge University has said that pupils attending private schools will be getting fewer offers of Oxford places in the future. He said, I would say we have to keep making it very, very clear we are intending to reduce over time the number of people who are coming from independent school backgrounds into places like Oxford or Cambridge. Individual students who are talented, we would want them but they are going to be competing against an ever larger pool because they are more students coming from state schools who are seeing a potential place for themselves at Cambridge or Oxford or other Russell Group universities. Barnaby Lennon, chairman of the Independent Schools Council said, said the issue was a complex one. He said taxpayers expect that Oxford and Cambridge would select students based on their academic potential. How they do that is up to them. 
a proportion of the best students in the UK go to independent schools, very often on large bursaries. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Live from Qatar, this is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you very much for the news there, Gail. Uh, this is the Friday morning break. I'm Dorian Brown and you join me in the studio here with Ellen Mahoney. We have just spent the best part of the first half of the show uh, talking all about SEL, social and emotional learning, uh, how important it is and also how complex it is. Um, but I think uh, one thing that, that came from that first section uh, from me, which Ellen said really was that, you know, it, it's very easy to see SEL as something which is very overwhelming, um, but it is something that we are already doing. Uh, in schools, and I think uh, what Ellen is Ellen is striving to do with Sea Change Mentoring uh, is to just kind of um, let us focus a little bit more on uh, on the aspects uh, a little bit more explicitly, and for us to reflect a little bit more about how how we're doing what we're doing in in the classroom and how we can do it better. Um, so, Ellen, let me just kind of bring you back in again, then, and and, and um, sort of lay this question on you, if I may. Um, so, teachers. Uh, nowadays have become much more in loco parentis um, more than ever and so where does a teacher's job start and a parent's end? That is such a huge and important <laughs> question. <laughs> I mean it's I just I really think we put too much on teachers you know um, I think I do think that when we're thinking about young people's development and helping them um, become responsible, purposeful adults. That's the job of every adult in our society. That's what I believe. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the neighbor, the auntie, the uncle, um, the police officer, the you know the pastoral, like the you know a real spiritual leaders, um, community leaders, et cetera, et cetera. It really, it really, and it's uh, it's we use this too too much probably, but it really does take a village. Um, and so I do think a lot of times we put all of our um, attention to it's the teacher's responsibility. And, and of course, that's not true because that's not that's not the students lived experiences. There are other adults in their lives that have a huge impact on them. So um, that said, obviously, teachers spend all of this time with students, often more time with students than parents are able to or do. Um, so it is important that all of the adults in the school building are practicing these competencies and modeling these competencies yeah. um, <clears throat> and in some cases teaching them. But yeah, I mean, parents are a huge part of this too. And um, I, for example, I was just reading about, there's this huge study, this is an American study. So forgive me, but I bet if you were to look at um, studies coming out of England and around the world, um, you'd probably find similarities here from all the other research I've looked at internationally right. around mental health. So there's a study that just came out a couple of weeks ago from the CDC here in the United States, Center for Disease Control, and um, where they studied 8,000, they surveyed 8,000 teenagers in the United States. And they found that um, 
40%, I think it's 40 or maybe 41% of the teenagers reported feeling sad and hopeless most of the time, um, which is a huge increase. I think um, in 2009, that number was 26%. That's right. And now it's 44%. Um, and and which is troubling and we're seeing that play out in different forms you know we're seeing suicide suicidality and um self-harm go up and that and those numbers are um they go they go up all over the entire world so that's that's a universal thing um but one of the things that's interesting about that is one of the um one of the possible reasons why we're seeing that is parenting styles and that this parenting style that we're seeing um, in practice today, especially for our more affluent, privileged students, um, which I think I can say I see this in the international school world 100%, so maybe this will appeal to some of your listeners, is that, um, is that a lot of parenting these days is, is really fear-based and um, the uh, parents are so scared of the risks and dangers that are out there for, for their um, young people, for their children, that they rush in to solve problems for them. They, they create a bubble around them um, while they continue to push and push and push to get into these elite schools. And the combination is really problematic. The children <clears throat> look to what their parents are modeling, which is fear. And guess what? anxiety levels go up. So now I'm not, I'm not being, I, I don't want to sound really harsh to parents, you know, and no parenting is the, the hardest job, you know, that we have out there, but it is something for us to think about. And I see this all the time. So um, where um, I see 20 year olds completely paralyzed uh, because they're scared of making a simple decision um, because their parents have always made those decisions for them it, it, as a means to protect them when really it has set them up for some major social emotional challenges. So I think for a school, if you're if you're thinking about what role do the parents have, <clears throat> really parents need to be partners with teachers and teachers need to be partners with parents. And I would say the another thing <clears throat> connected to this is that oftentimes when a lot of times schools will, will call me in when they're seeing major problems in their school culture, or if they're seeing you know, mental health challenges with, with teachers or with um, students. And a lot of times when I go into those schools at first and, and just listen to people, there's a lot of finger pointing. So the teachers and leaders will point to the parents. Well, all these parents care about is getting kids into you know, Cambridge and Oxford and Harvard and Yale. Um, and they don't care about the well-being of students. And then the parents will say, oh, well, these teachers, they don't, you know, et cetera, et cetera. When you, when, once the adults stop arguing and you listen to the students, those messages are all over the place of, you know, you need to be perfect and I will solve all your problems for you. And they're getting it from all of the adults. So we really, they're getting it from the culture. So we need to all take responsibility within our realms um, to, to create a better environment for our children and, and to help them take those risks thoughtfully and et cetera, et cetera. But play, playing the blame game yes. is just, it's, it's petty and it's a major waste of our time and resources. Sure. And I've just, I've just circled three times that word, you said partnerships, it absolutely is. And I think that's something which is not, not, uh, just, 
you know, with, with the social emotional aspects, also with the academic aspects, I think we see it every, everywhere. And uh, again, us being able to kind of have that, that time to build those relationships. One, one thing um, I, I spoke of a couple of, um, uh, couple of shows ago, uh, when we had kind of the, the, the parents' evenings, when they all went remote onto Zoom, we actually ended up seeing a lot more of both parents um, rather than just uh, parent, rather than just one or the one or the other, which I think was a real, you know, it was a step, uh, two steps forward, one step back, wasn't it? Because you're getting to see more and more of the parents and build those relationships a little bit more, but you're not getting it face to face. So I suppose you can't have the best of best of both. But I, I really felt that you know, building relationships with, with home just helps you understand more. And I thought that was really interesting how you, how you, how you've experienced that, you know, that the, 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 the teachers are kind of, you know, point finger pointing and then the parents are finger pointing and then you're going to get a web of confusion, aren't you? You're going to get that kind of web of confusion from, from the students. Um, I think also, I mean, I don't know how much to an extent or the, the research which you mentioned is kind of influenced by the pandemic because I think we've seen that, that rise of, uh, of mental health issues in, 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 in adults as well as, as, as well as in students. And I wonder how much a reflection of the rise in, in adults has, has, has has, has caused a, a rise in, 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 in students, perhaps maybe having a lack of face-to-face, -face, a lack of uh, adult contact as well, you're, you're, you're the, the adults that you are in contact with during lockdown or, or certainly when restrictions have, have been put in place, that limits your, your the number of models, I suppose, that you, you can see too. Um, uh, and, and yeah, and, 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 the, and the last thing I thought, thought from what you just said there was, um, and I'm sure we'll kind of move on to this, but immediately cried out that it was like, well, obviously we need to make sure that we have training for parents. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure that's something that Sea Change Mentoring kind of offer in terms of some sort of workshops, et cetera. And we'll, um, we'll, we'll dig into that in a second, if, if I may. Um, so uh, what, what, what I'll ask now, um, if we can sort of move out to the, the sort of international schools, um, you work with a lot of international schools. I think uh, uh, on, on your email footer there, there's about sort of 15, 20 that you're currently working with. So it sounds like you're very, uh, very busy. Um, we, we have a large sort of number of international listeners, as well as a strong base in the UK, as I've said before. Uh, could you give us an understanding of uh, what is meant by TCKs uh, and how and why Sea Change Mentoring believes that SEL is uh, essential in, in supporting them. Sure. So TCKs. So whether you're working um, in the UK or you're working in international schools or both, um, it's likely that you have at least one TCK in your community. And TCK means third culture kid. It's a term that was coined by two sociologists. Um, quite a while ago, I think it was in the 40s originally. Um, and the co concept is um, these are young people that are developing in countries that are outside of the countries that their parents um, grew up in. Um, so if, just to give you an example, my parents, like I said, are Americans. They, grew, they were born and raised in the United States, um, but I grew up in Japan and Singapore. So I grew up in cultures that were different than my, my parents' culture. Um, the third part means that there's a, a third culture that we all connect to. So the first culture in my case would be my parents' culture, the American culture. The second culture, cultures in my case, would be Japan and Singapore, the, the cultures in Japan and the culture in Singapore. 
But the third culture is the culture that happens in the interstitial space between the two, which means the it's sort of the it's like the foreign culture. It's the it's the expat, if we can still say that word, like it's the expat mm -hmm. culture. Um, it's the so, for example, I mean, Dorian, you and I, I mean, do you identify as English or what's your how would you describe? Brit, yeah, that? Brit, I've got a British, British passport. There you go. I'm British. Okay. <laughs> You've got a British passport, right? You need to qualify as a passport. There you right? go. So, there you go. Yeah. So, Dorian, like you might say, oh, I'm British and I might say, oh, I'm American. But really, you and I probably have more in common than some of our British and American counterparts because of our experience um, lived experiences in various countries. And there are certain things, certain shared histories and experiences that we can share across the entire world with people that um, grew up with this sort of lifestyle, with this sort of way of, of moving around and that sort of thing. So third culture kid is someone that developed during these key developmental stages in that world. Mm. Um, and <clears throat> so it's, it's characterized <clears throat> by feeling like <clears throat> excuse me, it's characterized by feeling um, connection to all of these different cultures, but ownership of none, um, which presents amazing opportunities and some major challenges. Yeah, I think that's it, that, that ownership of none I, it, it just kind of occurs, that sort of stands out significantly, doesn't it? Like, you know, third culture kids not have not having something to call them their, their, themselves and i think i think you you touched on it earlier when we were talking about identity when you're talking about identity isn't it you know it's like where is their identity coming from um yes yeah and so when you were asking the question why is sel important for tck's in particular well one of the one of the common shared experiences that third culture kids have is um more transitions than than your average kid would typically have and what i mean by that is um either they move around you know several times sometimes a dozen times in there you know from five to 18 years old um or they and or they're attending schools where there's a lot of transients so you have other other children moving in and out of your schools and high teacher turnover so teachers leaving every few years um, heads of schools and international schools. I don't know if, if it's changed in the last four or five years, but up, up at least four or five years ago, the average um, tenure of a head of school was, I think, three years. So there's just so That's much change right. constantly happening. It's yeah. incredibly disruptive. So when we're thinking about the social and emotional development of young people and all of these interruptions that happen, then we have to be even more cognizant and intentional, and this is not a word, but designful um, about what kind of um, learning experiences and relationships can we design to be as preventative as possible to some of the challenges that will be an outcome of this kind of life. And then when yes. you talk, and when you add that to a lot of third culture kids these days have so many cultures within them, you know, mom is from Ghana, dad is from or or mom you know whoever it might be right one parent yeah. is from ghana one parent might be um from germany um and they're going to a british school in thailand but they might be going to university in the netherlands so mm -hmm. it's really confusing culturally and so we really have to understand help young people understand who they are and, and come to that on their own in in ways that make sense for their own lived experiences and, and that's why it's really important 
Well, that's fantastic. And I think, as you said, you know, to pick up off of your, your newly coined phrase design for, we need to, we need to think about the, the, the toolkit, I guess, that we, that, that we, we give, I think not just to the students themselves, but to the, the, the non-third culture kids and everything as well in the community, right? Because it's, it's the awareness that there are third culture kids amongst you and, and, and how they, you know, own very, own very little, but are a part of everything, you know, I think that's a really interesting dynamic. And, and one thing that kind of, I, I thought of while you were speaking there was that, you know, whilst we said that, you know, mental health uh, and social emotional issues have been, you know, a thing of, you know, uh, centuries, millennia, if you will, um, you know, this kind of, I, I, I'm sure you, you probably know the statistics better than I do. In fact, I'm, I don't know any statistics, but there has perhaps been a much more uh, sharper increase of third culture kids in the last kind of 10, 15, 20 years as a result of, you know, globalization and a lot more movement of people uh, across borders. So this is a relatively new kind of uh, avenue to explore. Yes, exactly. Definitely. I mean, globalization, it just really, it, it multiplied these numbers. Um, and yeah, so it is, there, there's, it would, especially if you're in a city uh, anywhere in the world, um, what, so whether you're connected to an international school or not, it's very likely that you know third culture kids. And, and what's interesting is now I, I work with people that are third generation third culture kids. So, you know, their parents don't have ownership of, you know, don't feel a sense of ownership of any country and their, their parents didn't. So, you know, maybe two generations ago, it was parents that were living overseas because they were involved in a NGO or they were working for their country's embassy, whatever it mm. might be. Second generation, it may have been, you know, um, technology or oil um, or education. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it, it keeps changing. But I wanted wow. to say one thing, Dorian, and you, you mentioned this earlier, is that um, one interesting thing about effective SEL implementation is that you have to take the culture and the school's context in, in consideration when you're designing SEL programs. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's good research on this. When you don't, it will fall flat. And so I think another challenge that international schools face if they want to embrace SEL is they, the first thing a school typically does when they think, okay, we're going to embrace SEL is they go looking for a curriculum, which is, I would not say it's the, <laughs> not the first step you should take. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and it's yeah. shelf, exactly. So where do you go? Well, you know, Americans love this stuff. So you have, to, you have to go to the States. Well, the American approach is not appropriate for most schools outside of the United States. You know, um, even if you have somewhat of an American culture in your international school, or they'll go to Australia and they'll embrace positive education. Mm. Both systems, wonderful, I love it, but it is not a cookie cutter. We do not need cookie cutter solutions. And so- right. Again, you know, you really have to think about the context and, and the culture of, of, of the school and the community. Absolutely. Kind of has to be bespoke, um, as you said there. Um, so kind of, I guess, just finishing that off then, uh, having worked in kind of, I guess, what we call local schools and international schools, um, when you're delivering kind of cell training or workshops, et cetera, do you find it easier uh, in international schools where there are a lot more I guess, living, breathing examples uh, of what you're talking about with, with TCKs, um, or, or is it perhaps maybe, I don't want to say it's not easier, is it? But it, I imagine it to be different, but could you perhaps maybe describe roughly how different it is between, you know, teaching SEL in, a, in an international context versus a kind of a more localized one? 
So my, my experience teaching in the localized context, that context is American. So I just have to say that out loud so people <laughs> can remember that because it, yeah. it, it matters. So I find it harder to, to, to teach SEL um, in international schools than I would in American public schools. Because again, it's, I mean, I don't wanna be rude towards my fellow Americans, but I mean, we love talking about ourselves. We love talking about our feelings. Like we're very social, expressive people. Um, and, um, and yeah, I don't know. I just think we're, we embraced this kind of work decades ago, I think, yes. you know, at least a decade yeah. ago. I mean, Castle, the organization that everyone talks about when we're talking about SEL, they've been around since the 70s, you know, like this is not a new thing. Um, it's definitely trendier right now. But so I think it was a lot easier in, in the States. I think internationally, yes, while the international school um, population makeup is diverse, it doesn't mean that the culture is necessarily celebrating that diversity or even understands that diversity. Um, and so I, what I find is like when I meet an international school for the first time, I really pay attention to what really is the culture. Now on their website, they might say, we have an international culture. We are raising global citizens, but I can tell very quickly, is this an American culture? Is this a Canadian culture? even though this is an international school and maybe they're not even teaching the British curriculum, is this a British culture, right? Mm, mm. Um, and, and, or it's Australian, et cetera. And so, um, and then I will change my approach. So it really, it, I don't think international just because we're all quote unquote different really makes a huge difference. Not yet, we're not there yet. You know, we're, we aren't really embracing diversity and, and this, we're still learning how to really walk the walk when we're talking about global citizenship. So. Sure. So the answer is it's harder. It's harder in international schools. And initially, when I asked that question, I thought, well, obviously, it's easier in international schools. Um, but as you as you kind of talked it through there, it kind of I having spent 10 years to, teaching in Asian schools, I, I, I found that, yeah, it, that the stigma was very much there in terms of, you know, not only the students uh, not feeling comfortable or, or wanting to at all talk about anything emotionally or you know or even kind of when you're having kind of restorative conversations and you know it's very diff difficult to kind of get in sometimes right uh, and, and I guess that's linked again to how you build the the relationship and and and, and the trust I think in your classroom but actually also it get, that extends to parents as well and actually parents many parents of of students I've talked uh, you know have had concerns with before have have um not, I don't want to say have been in denial, but I think they have. They've, they, they or, or perhaps maybe, like you said, they, they, they don't see. You know, how can their their child ha have a mental health issue? This is, this is rubbish. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's so it's yeah. a real like you said. As you know, American cultures sort of been been speaking and and and, and talking uh, and 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 being a lot more open. I think and honest. I guess that's what it is. And and uh, perhaps maybe almost in the international context, maybe there's just a little bit more. I don't know, um, residents, I guess, to kind of show that you are fallible or, or, or that there is, there are kind of, you know, cracks in the, in, in the paintwork, if you like. So. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many reasons for that. And also just to put it in context, the public schools that the local schools I worked with in the States are public, right? So we're talking mm -hmm. about mostly communities that have very little financial resources. It's different. International schools are elite institutions. Mm -hmm. And so part of the culture that ties all of these international schools together is the elite culture. You know, why are parents living in um, different countries? 
or um, it, as we know, there's more and more local students attending international schools. Well, why are their parents enrolling their local their students? Why are local parents enrolling their students into international schools? Because they are elite institutions that lead to elite university admissions. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, then there are a whole other set of concerns that people are going to have. And, yeah. and talking about your mental health issues is not something you're gonna feel really comfortable talking about um, if you're worried that Oxford is going to reject you um, or, um, or that your, you know, your company is going to find out about the fact that you're having some challenges as a family and you know, how, how, what is that going to, what is that going to look like for your reputation, for example? So, you know, that's the other piece, this sort of socioeconomic is a, is a big, big part of this. And, and as you've just said there, you know, it all, you know, the, this elite culture comes with that intense pressure, anxiety, the stresses that come with all of that. So, you know, it's an even stronger case for how SEL is ever more so important um, uh, in these institutions and those conversations getting started. Um, well, uh, again, so many different avenues we could we could go down there, I think, as well, Ellen, uh, but we are a little bit uh, tight on time. Um, so I'm going to give you a little breather. Uh, we're going to have a, a very quick ad break uh, and we'll be back in two minutes to finish off the show. So we'll see you in two. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. 
If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Live from Qatar, this is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown. And welcome back. This is the Friday Morning Break. I am Dorian Brown and I am joined by Ellen Mahoney uh, of Sea Change Mentoring. Uh, we've had an absolutely fabulous conversation thus far, all about social and emotional learning, uh, the importance of it and the differences between in the international context and local context, etc. We talked about third culture kids, um, so many different things. Uh, and we said at the very the, the, the start of the show that this is a really complex issue and, and highly ambitious to try to even scratch the surface in the, in the, in the, in the course of an hour. But I think we've managed to kind of, you know, uh, highlight some of the, uh, the, the the key parts and and perhaps maybe I might be able to persuade Ellen to come back again. Uh, and I'm putting them on the spot now, but uh, uh, we, we could talk about one, one or two of these strands in a little bit more depth if, if she was willing to. Um, but first off, let's uh, let's see. Um, uh, Get, get under the uh, under the hood a little bit more if we can, uh, Ellen, about Sea uh, Change Mentoring. Um, sort of on the website, which we will put in the in the um, show notes for our listeners to kind of follow and look at. But they, you you offer a, a plethora of training, uh, CPD mentoring programs, things that you've um, we've sort of already mentioned uh, through the show. Um, it, it's a, it's a it's a it's a strange question, I guess, to start with. But which of the strands do you view as being the kind of the most most effective or, or certainly the one which has been the most powerful uh, in in recent years? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to kind of choose one. I think, you know, all of my work centers around relationship building. Um, that's the crux of the work. So it's relationship-based learning and development. So I think when schools are willing to invest in putting the time into that relationship building, then, then we see the biggest impact. So what that means for me is what I've been finding myself doing a lot more of lately and, and really seeing um, a big impact is um, meeting with uh, leadership teams or middle management teams in schools on a regular basis, um, sort of every other week, um, being there as part mentor, part coach, part uh, resource provider, part trainer, sort of on, on the spot, just-in-time training um, as they are um, designing, improving, or adapting their own social-emotional learning initiatives um, so that they just have someone to talk through. And what I find is in those, in those sessions, really what I'm doing is I'm helping the adults again um, move through their own social and emotional experience of change and of program implementation because implementation is social and emotional. And we all know this right now. I mean, I, you know, I keep saying, this is not the time for huge initiatives. We are all exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, you know, teachers around the world are feeling quite emotional right now. And, uh, you know, a lot of what I'm seeing out there, there's a lot of, as we know, a lot of burnout. Um, mm -hmm. So ch change and implementation and, you know, constant learning as adults, um, is social and emotional. So I find myself really sort of coaching people through that experience. Fantastic. And, and, and the, the head of what you just said there was the idea of you meeting on a regular basis, which I think really kind of, uh, 
shows how that kind of continuous building the sustainability into that isn't it that continuous relationship it's not just a, a one-off engagement of here here's here's something that you can do and then off you go you know that kind of build that building of relationship with the leadership team uh, and you know it takes time doesn't it to, to really kind of get to know the real get beneath the veneer of a school right and and and, yes. uh, and, and identify the culture and 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 then tailor your uh, engagement so um, what, what is the so I imagine that, that initial engagement of kind of being a sort of a mentor stroke coach etc uh, with with the with the adults uh, what's the kind of the the typical process that you would go through then when you are designing a bespoke um, cell course for schools mm-hmm. so um, typically we I start with uh, again getting to know everybody so um, you know, I'll have several meetings with leadership to understand how how would they describe the culture, what what successes have they seen. You know, I love to I love to know what the strengths are that we're working with. Um, what are some of the challenges? I usually lead them through some design thinking activities that help them um, quickly uh, and you know succinctly identify um, some of the themes that are out there and next steps. Um, I do. I often start with a current state assessment so we'll go in and sort of audit what what you're what are you already doing that contributes to social emotional learning and how is it going um and so that's through you know surveys we, we run focus groups with young people with teachers administration counselors parents um etc cetera, etc cetera. and then we do a document review so i like to hear how are you talking about this work what are the messages that are out there on the you know in the signs in the hallway, on your website, on the letters home to parents, um, how are we describing it? And then I'll share back a report with prioritized next steps that are realistic and doable, um, you know, sort of in that order. And then from there, typically that, that highlights two pathways that we need to go towards. One is planning and implementation, and the other is professional development for the people that will be doing the implementing. So, you know, for the planning um, and design work, that's usually working with the committee. That's where you'll see these ongoing meetings. Um, and, you know, we follow effect, evidence-based practices for effective implementation. Sometimes that's goes all the way down to, you talked about needing a handbook. Well, we help people create that handbook. Um, you know, or, um, you know, child safeguarding policies, hiring practices, what your meeting agendas look like, um, how you're communicating and when you're communicating to whom. Um, And then the professional development piece then is around how can we train the adults in the building to to implement this work. And that a lot of that is winning both the hearts and minds. So coming at it from a intellectual uh, research-based point of view, but also uh, reflecting and, and really kind of building our self-awareness. So that's typically the process that we go through. I will say, and that, that's not, that might sound like a lot of work, um, and it is. So, you know, there are, you know, you have to be a school that really wants to, to dive into this work and really believes mm. in this work. But um, we have also, believe it or not, even before, right before COVID, we were, I was trying to take all of the lessons learned in the last 10 years and put them into um, online self-paced courses for schools that don't have um, the resources to invest in, you know, like a multi-year project. Yes. Um, and those have been, I, I have to say, I was really skeptical. I thought that they might not be so great just because it's not all this handholding and et cetera, et cetera, but they've been really effective. Um, so we have one on how to run a mentoring program in your school or an advisory program in your school. Um, we've got one on adult social emotional competency development that we piloted in a 
a British culture international school in Malaysia all year where every single person in the school took this course from the accountant to wow. you know the admissions director to the teacher to the head of school um and those work only i think so far i mean the data is still coming but if if schools can create space and time throughout the year for um discussion and reflection right that's the meta cognition yes. Yeah, and I'd written that word down actually time because I think I think with anything uh, bringing you know uh, to return to what we said earlier it's not necessarily what, what new stuff to do it's what we're doing but doing it better maybe more efficiently or more effectively so what are the you know what you just described there are those kind of what are those those low low effort things that have the highest impact and you can identify those from that initial engagement can't you and and yes. I like that idea that you said what are you already doing because I think that's a great celebrate because again what we've said earlier you know it's a celebration of what we actually already do and already do well how can we do that better um you mentioned policies as well i like the idea of kind of making sure that these things are ex they're expl explicit in policies and the language of 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 cell is is peppered throughout so that everybody knows exactly what that means um and just interestingly interesting to think so that sounds like you said quite a comprehensive kind of uh, uh um examination i guess of, of of what is being done and what potentially could be done um i've already kind of mentioned the number of schools that you're currently working with so obviously there is a kind of a thirst and a and a and a and a and a, and a, and a need to be met um do you do anything even before that as well i mean what's the do, do you find that people just come to you after word of mouth etc or is there kind of like something that you do to kind of uh put yourself out there I have to say a lot of it's word of mouth, which um, right. thank goodness, because this takes a lot of work. So right. if I just spend a ton of time marketing, um, that would that would be really challenging, I think. But I will say that, again, relationship development. So when I when I first started Sea Change, I was nobody knew me in the international school world. My whole network was in New York and D.C. And so mm -hmm. I really had to just you know, hit the pavement, like knocking on doors, begging for meetings. Um, and it, it, the international school world is very insular there. You know, they, they can be distrustful of outside vendors for, for good reason, I think actually. Um, so it was really hard to get in. What I found was that if I just shut up and listened to people <laughs> um, and, and before trying to sell this idea to people um, that I would probably go further. And that, that that's really been true. So, mm. you know, before COVID going to conferences, um, if I happen to be visiting a current school client in, let's say, you know, like I was just in The Hague, um, you know, I'm working with the International School of Amsterdam and the American School of The Hague. What are some other schools in the area while I'm here? Can I come in and, and visit your school? Would you show yeah. me what's working really well? Do you have a mentoring program? Can I see that? What can you teach yeah. me? Um, and so having those opportunities to develop those relationships, um, I think also then helps schools when they when they come to a place and they think, okay, we're ready for this social emotional learning. They they know that they can trust us. Um, and it's really important to me. You know, I love yeah. I love this work so much. I I I consider the colleagues I work with in these schools around the world, um, you know, really treasured colleagues and partners. Um, and, and I genuinely mean that. So, um, and they, I learn a lot from them. And then what they're doing in their schools informs other schools that, that I get to work with. I'm kind of like a bee, you know, just kind of collecting all of this brilliance around the world and, and helping schools share, share that brilliance with other people. 
And I have to say, Ellen, that really does come through um, in, in, in how you've kind of uh, answered uh, all of the questions for today's interview. It really has you know, been an absolute kind of uh, testament, I think, to the amount of uh, of enjoyment that you have the amount of importance I think that you place on these things and and and, and the fact that you know it's come very much from kind of personal experience as well um, I think really does kind of add the add the uh, add, add strength uh, to, to, to to the reasoning there um, and and I think just to cards cards on the table the, the fact that th this interview came about from uh, me reaching out from uh, a colleague of mine who highly who you've been working with who absolutely was singing your praises and 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 uh, I, I think uh, uh, I, I need to I need to buy him a beer I think because it's been an absolute fantastic uh, discussion and it's just and it's it's actually it's rare I come away from interviews with with more questions I guess but I have got you know there's what's what's happened is I've really had to think and I hope our listeners as well have also uh, kind of started looking in, inward themselves now at themselves but and their relationships and their schools and 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 perhaps maybe started to think about how they can kind of take their their their, their next steps uh, on their cell journey um so so Ellen to, um, we'll have to bring the show to a, a close there I'm just wondering just before you go if there's anything that's happening over the next year for Ellen Mahoney and Sea uh, Change Mentoring is there anything that you can uh, shine a light on for us yeah well actually you know this summer we are um launching sort of the 2.0 of some of these courses that I talked about so there's one that might be of interest um if this is if this interview is piquing people's interest um it's a certificate that we've developed over the last couple of years um for, for adult social emotional learning and it's for people that are working in schools that want to champion this work um, and want to lead the SEL work and understand that it starts with the adults. So um, we're gonna be launching that, uh, people can start to enroll in that class May, in, in the first week of May. Um, and it's a summer, it's a two-part course. The first part's during the summer and we are very cognizant of everyone's fatigue and schedules. Um, so we, it's sort of um, self-paced. But it's really cool. It ends with a with a project that they're um, genuinely implementing within their school. So we're hoping to see real impact around the world. And then another one also where enrollment starts in May, which is around burnout prevention and stress management, emotional regulation for teachers. So those are two ones that I think are exciting and they're a lot more accessible. So you don't have to have some huge budget that you might find, let's say, in some international schools in Asia, for example. So um, sure. it's a little more doable for for everyone. Wonderful, though. Thank you for signposting those, and we'll pop those into into the show notes links for listeners as well, so they can follow those. And I think just to kind of piggyback off of that, you know, um, how many schools have a cell coordinator? You know, you've got send coordinators, you've got sustainability or environmental coordinators, sports directors, marketing. Very few, right? So I think that's uh, so I think that's definitely the needed uh, in in order kind of kind of to to push the narrative and push push the this a little bit more front and center of of, of how important social and emotional learning is uh, for students for the future but also it's the we haven't really kind of touched on it explicitly but how it dovetails you know students can only learn well if they're feeling safe if they're feeling happy if they're feeling healthy etc so you know it's a it's a, it's a it's a no-brainer uh, I think and I've certainly uh, I've certainly sort of taken a load of fantastic nuggets away from today uh, Ellen so I'd like I'd like to thank you so much uh, we'll put your socials uh, in in the show notes as, as well if that's okay uh, so people can kind of reach out to you um, and and continue the conversation should they will um, I just like to thank you from the bottom of my heart really for the, for the for the time that you spent with us today i know i know you're obviously very busy at the moment but i've really have enjoyed it and uh, i hope perhaps maybe i can convince you to come back on to continue the conversation as well on teachers talk radio 
I'd love to come back and thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.